Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Jai Wolf. Yo. <laughs> so I was just thinking, was the first time you met the Hotel Garuda Show or did we meet before that? I think it was the Hotel Garuda Show. Yeah. Um, it was 2014? Yeah, 2014. Yeah, I'll put a, a picture here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was um, <clears throat> the year that I started Jai Wolf and also the same year Hotel Garuda started Hotel Garuda. And then they played... New York for the first time uh, at Slake. They were playing with Tropical. I remember that. And it was a really fun night. That was oh, like, is that Thomas Jack? Um, I think oh, it might have been. Wait, wait. There were two. There were two shows they played in New York City. There was one. So you weren't. Were you, you're not at the Slake one. No, that was before my time. That oh. was before I moved to New York. Okay, okay. So yeah, that's when they opened. Okay, so they opened for Thomas Jack at Webster Hall, and that's yeah. when we first met. I guess. Yeah. That's crazy. We definitely met before Webster Hall, because we were hanging out that summer. Webster Hall was like, oh, you're August, right. like August or September, it was like later in the, in the year. I met all those guys in 2014. Yeah, Chris, crazy. AO, RoboKid, Moving Castle just, we were all on the, the East Coast, yeah. yeah it was all we were East Coast all boys. East Coast, yeah. yeah. So you were actually born in Bangladesh, right? Yeah. And all your family's still there except for your parents. Yeah, so like my entire family is out there. Uh, my dad came to the States when I was like a year old, yeah. like 92. And then me and my mom came. And we were supposed to uh, move back. Oh, okay. But we ended up staying. It was like, all right, we'll stay for a couple weeks. A couple weeks turned into... All right, until my dad gets his degree, and then that turned into... Oh, wait, what was he... So he came here for school, like, initially? Yeah, yeah, oh. he came to get his uh, PhD in physics. Oh, yeah. damn. He's a super, super smart guy, wow. super science-y. Uh, and my mom, she came and got her master's in physics, too. So, That's so cute. Yeah, they just, they <laughs> love science. Wow. <laughs> what are they doing now? Um, they're medical physicists, so yeah. they work at, like, they work with, like, radiation therapy for cancer patients that's and stuff so like that. impressive especially come like moving all the way to the u.s and like yeah i bet they got like some really good like visas and or like scholarships yeah they um um it's so competitive it's crazy like and, i think yeah. about uh, how immigrant parents like how they come here and like <clears throat> i mean just kind of the fact that like the like Coming from Bangladesh, you have to be, like, the smartest of the smarts. Yeah. You know? And, like, over there, like, the ranking system is, is huge, like, being number one in your class and all that stuff. And it's really because, like, if you're not, like, you're just going to be stuck there, you know? Which, yeah. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a third world country, and, like, you can have a decent life out there, but, like, if you want to get out, like, you have to be at the top of your class. Because America, they're looking for, like, the best of the yeah. best, you know? So, um yeah, my dad just, he was really good at physics. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. And in the house, were they playing more like classical, like Indian, Bangladeshi music, right? Yeah, so like, you know, um, I was listening to a lot of like Bengali classical records, Indian classical records, Ravi Shankar and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and that was kind of like what played in my house, like, you know, like, duck down. <laughs> uh, 
uh, just like all day. So I was doing, I was listening to a lot of that. Yeah. And you started violin like pretty young, like at five, right? Yeah. So, so the story is apparently my, we went to a farmer's market and yeah. there was like a girl playing the violin and I asked my parents like, oh, I want to learn how to play. I remember the girl, I don't remember asking, <laughs> but um, I started lessons when I was five and pretty much played con like seriously yeah. up, up until like high school, so like 18. Yeah. And then college I kind of like, I don't want to say I gave it up, but it just like became not at the forefront of my yeah. life. But for a really long time I was like a very... Yeah, like, you were playing the like New York State Yeah, we, yeah. all state and like, it's funny, like me and Andrew talked about this too, because he, <laughs> he used to play violin. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I was like Allstate, all, New York Allstate violinist, like all that stuff, like competitive. Like we had something called NISMA, which is like New York State something something association. It's like a music, uh, like you you prepare a piece and they, mm -hmm. they, ju they judge you. And it was such that like the, the it's different district to district and it's how they select like a couple of kids to become Allstate oh. members. Um, and so... Our, our district in New York was so competitive that you had to get a hundred to be selected. Damn. That's like, Do you remember your favorite composers back in the day? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really liked like Vivaldi and Mozart. I think mm -hmm. those, those two were my favorite. I used to listen to like Four Seasons all the time. Summer, <laughs> yeah. like Movement 3 or something like that. Uh, yeah, our, our school district was so competitive that like you had to get a hundred. And I remember my first year yeah. when I moved to New York, I got like a 99 and I wasn't bummed about it. I was like, cool, like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be all county, it's not a big yeah. deal, but, like, a 99 is a good score, and, like, I remember, like, my friend, she was like, you're not upset by that? Because, like, <laughs> she got a 99 too, and she was, like, on the verge of tears, I think. Wow. But it was one of those things where, like, a, a 99, a 98, a 97 is considered, like, oh, you f***ed up. But you just get, like, <laughs> one crazy. note wrong, and, like, that's what, that's your score, yeah. you know, but, uh, I got, like, 99 my first year, I got 100 the second year, and like, my sophomore year, and that was how, that was, like, uh, when I got Allstate. And then my junior year, I got like a 97. And I was like, crazy. Eh, I, don't, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I already got Allstate yeah. once. I didn't have to get it twice. <laughs> but when your parents first moved here, was it to Cartmondale, like Southern Illinois? Yeah, they, they, so I lived in uh, Southern Illinois for like seven years from like 92 to 98. Uh, very rural. Like, our field trips in kindergarten would be yeah. like, to like farms and stuff. <laughs> Why did your parents decide to move there? Was it for their, their jobs there? No, it was the, the the college that my dad went to. Oh. So he went to Southern Illinois University. Yeah. Um, and that's just, that's the physics program he got accepted to. Oh. Yeah. Where do you th think that you got even your like creative or like musical skill set from? Are your parents actually creative? Yeah, actually that's a really good question. My dad, uh, he loves photography. So oh. like, it's his like side hobby slash passion. So like, he like, he'll turn our bathroom into like a green room. Oh, not a green room. Oh my God. <laughs> I said green room. <laughs> that's how like, <laughs> dark room, dark room. Yeah. <laughs> Turns your bathroom into a green room. artist. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, no, dark room, and he like develops photos. He's very anti-digital, so he's like, oh, oh. like, he, because I asked him one day, I was like, why don't you like digital cameras? Like, you just, you, you know, get the pictures immediately, you know? And yeah. then he's like, he's like, man, digital cameras just, it makes everyone a photographer. It's too easy, you know? <laughs> he's like, he's been painstakingly like developed film for like years. Wow. His whole life, like, you know, bringing it to Walmart and all that stuff, and now he'll develop it himself, like, um, in, in the dark room. So he, he likes the process, I think. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's like, 
it's the purest kind of you know, <laughs> view of photography. Yeah. But he's been doing it his whole life. His photographs are beautiful, man. Whoa. He's so good at what he does. Um, he has like a medium format camera. Yeah. There's like those big like, I'm not really sure like how to, how to like really explain what it is, mm. but it's just, it's like a fancy old Yeah, like camera. those Hasselbun maybe. Yeah, Hasselbun, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's a total like geek for that stuff. Yeah, how about um, your mom? My mom, uh, she, she, um, she can play something called slide guitar, which is like, it's like Hawaiian style guitar. I'm not really oh. sure. She calls it slide guitar. It's like, you kind of set it on your lap and you put like a, a metal thing around your finger and you kind of like slide your fingers and pluck it. Yeah. Um, and she can play like harmonium, which is basically like an Indian piano. It's oh. like an accordion, like piano looking hybrid thing it's about like two octaves and you have to like it has bellows like an accordion yeah so you you bellow it and then you play it it's like very uh it's a traditional instrument basically but oh. she knows how to play that so yeah. like she has some music in her she could like sing and all that oh, stuff oh wow so the bengali culture is very um art, arts oriented you know it's it's kind of really deeply ingrained in our roots like um there's this really famous poet um Rabindranath Tagore, he's like a Nobel laureate and everything. Mm -hmm. He's written many poems and a lot of those poems have been turned into songs. Oh. And so those traditional songs have been sung for like a hundred years basically. Damn, you know, that's so, so like cool. when, when there's like get togethers and, and stuff like that, like the families will sing the songs and it's it's very traditional and, yeah. and still very much in the the core of like Bengali family culture, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Did your friend show you initially Panic at the Disco and Blink-182 or how did you find that stuff yourself? <laughs> um, so I like, music in my household has been really interesting because my parents for a long time didn't really let me listen to like pop music. Oh really? Because of the swear? Yeah, for profanity and drug use and all that stuff. And my mom was always afraid of like, uh, just that type of assimilation into mm. America, you know? Um, and my parents, like, because they're really smart, they're just, like, hyper-aware of, like, oh, culture. They, they know everything that's going on. Yeah. And, like, so they were always very careful, like, oh, you can't play violent video games and stuff like that. Like, my parents aren't like that anymore. They're super, like, they're super Americanized now. Yeah. Um, but there was a time when, like, I would come home and I would watch MTV and, like, music videos and all that stuff. And my mom, like, blocked it for two years, I remember. <laughs> like, senior year, I'm like, Mom, I'm, like, 17. Like, come on, let me, like, let me <laughs> watch this but like she would she like I still remember in eighth grade I would take like a Sony Walkman radio and like like stay up till 4 a.m. listening to like pop the pop radio station when I lived in Pittsburgh and just like I had friends who listened to it so when we would go to like their their houses they would show me like Ludacris and 50 Cent and like all those guys from yeah. the mid 2000s so I knew who they were and I was like yo like some of this stuff is super catchy like I still remember listening to like this is really lame but like ludicrous too fast too furious from the mm -hmm. from the too fast too furious soundtrack but like that song really caught my ear um overnight celebrity by twista and kanye west uh candy shop by 50 cent just like just the sounds yeah. of it i was like yo like there's like the, there's a really cool groove and really cool melody and like that was kind of the first time pop music and music that wasn't classical or traditional yeah. caught my ear but from there it was just like you know listening to the radio, just learning about pop music for, for the first time. And in terms of like the Panic at the Disco stuff, like uh, I first got into like Fall Out Boy. Oh. And like I was obsessed with them. 
uh, like, I heard Sugar Were Going Down and I hated it at first because I was like, what is he saying? Like, this sounds mad annoying. But it was one of those things where I, when I heard it like a hundred times on the radio, I was like, wait, I really like this. Yeah. Dug into their discography, like downloaded everything. Um, and then that just opened the door to like pop punk and all the other stuff, you know, Panic at the Disco, Paramore, Blake 182. Yeah. Was that around the same time that you picked up a guitar? Yeah, I picked up guitar in high school because um, like I have I have great respect for classical music, but at some point I was like, performing music written a hundred years ago wasn't really satisfying mm -hmm. for me. So I was like, all right, I want to like play more modern music or start writing my own music. So I, I picked up guitar so I could learn how to play like Green Day and Ball Boy and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how that's. There's a cat right there. How would you describe yourself back then, growing up? I was really, <laughs> I was really like dorky for sure. Like I think my parents told me that I was like super social when I was like younger. Like yeah. I think all, most kids are, you know. Mm -hmm. but then uh, I think in middle school, like middle school, like destroys everyone. <laughs> I feel. It's just like not a good time for anybody, and like um, I feel like that definitely was like had an effect on on who I was back then and like I went to a school in Pittsburgh where I was kind of like the only brown kid and mm. that was kind of like not the best situation I guess yeah but coming to New York it was great because it was like it was so multicultural and diverse and like going to a school where like there's 50 percent of an Asian population I was like oh this is like this is what the world should be like you know yeah. like it, it's great that no everyone gets along and, and doesn't really like have any like weird prejudices or anything like that yeah. in the early 2000s like that was like right after 9-11 so it's oh. still kind of like fresh you know yeah so, but I think I think it's a lot better now yeah at least in at least in like New York you know mm -hmm. I don't know about other places but yeah I was just really like I was really like shy and like dorky and just really like not yeah. really like I don't know everyone everyone was like that in middle school I feel yeah. How how were you dealing with like not being able to fit in or like find similar people around you? Um, I definitely like music was definitely like there for me and like that's what I like put my mind to. So like it was funny because in middle school I didn't really earn the respect of my peers until like they noticed I was really good at violin and like oh. an orchestra. I was like concertmaster, like first chair and everything. And like then the kids were like you know because like as kids get older they they start to realize that like being into something that's not mainstream, like having a passion for something is actually mm -hmm. cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I think like by then I was like starting to like, oh, like he's the violin kid. Like that's dope. Like that's not weird or like dorky or anything like yeah. that. That's like, that's cool. But then I moved right after that. So I had to like start over. Oh basically. yeah. But it was great. I fit in New York really well. And I feel like I like, I don't know. I felt more comfortable, yeah. you know? What were your favorite subjects back in high school? Um, favorite subjects in high school. Uh, I was a math and science guy for like a really long time. Like, oh, so kind of like your parents. Dude, because like for me it was like, you know, violin and like science were kind of my main, my main thing. So like for a long time I was kind of following in their footsteps and like, oh. you know, there was a big emphasis on being good at math and science in my house. Like my mom in, over the summers would teach me like math and all that stuff and like try to get me ahead and put me in honors classes like all those things. Yeah you did all the AP stuff. AP, dude our school was so competitive like Damn. I took mad AP classes but I think at some point like I started to not care because I was so like addicted to 
like writing music that like I would slack off in school. I slacked off in college. Like it just I started to not really care about yeah. academics, you know, at some point. You were starting off when you did your own sophomore the synth stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Like write my personal music that I was writing. Yeah. That was like toward like senior year of high school. Yeah, it was like a lot of synth based music, like Owl City was kind of the thing. Oh. I remember Fireflies. Like, it's so funny how Fireflies is a, is a meme now. <laughs> but back then it was like, oh, this song, I, I love it, I get it. Yeah. Like, I like what he was doing. And I've always been drawn towards anything with like an electronic influence. I, I feel like back then, like, EDM in high school wasn't really a thing. You know, like the kids who listened to Tiesto were like, oh wow, you like techno music? Like, oh. no one, there was like, no one who listened to that stuff. I Actually, had... how did you find that stuff yourself? Um, like bridging from like the rock and rap to like the more electronic. As EDM was getting big in college, like people started going to shows and stuff. Oh. And the first names that would pop up are like Avicii, Afrojack, and like mm -hmm. those guys. And I didn't really like any of it. I was like, this is like not like interesting or catchy to my ear in any way. But the first things that I enjoyed from EDM were like Skrillex and Flux Pavilion because there was kind of an edge to it and mm -hmm. it really reminded me of uh, like rock music for some reason just kind of like the the way the dubstep breakdown works and and the energy and something about it was really like captivating mm -hmm. and Skrillex comes from like a rock background you know so you, yeah. could, you could hear it in the music and just something about that was way more interesting to me than like house music yeah but the I, first house yeah. person that I was into was uh Alesso because oh. just the something about the the melodies that he would write yeah actually back then did it ever occur to you to join a band yeah were you in one um kind of like I think I like was one of the few people in my high school that I knew that like liked the music that I was listening to so mm -hmm. I couldn't ever really find like other band members to oh. make the music that I wanted to make. Yeah. Which led me to write all the parts myself, and that's eventually how I transitioned into like being a producer or whatever. But like my senior year, my friend who I kind of knew, like, uh, my friend was like, hey, like, do you want to just like perform at the rock show with me? You could play like violin and guitar. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Like, uh, what like songs do you want to do? So we just did a couple like his songs. So mm -hmm. it was very like, acoustic folky type music yeah we did like a john mayer cover and then we did like uh what's it called we did a a bob marley cover we did no woman no cry oh and um my buddy kenny who played trumpet actually like became my manager like many years later oh <laughs> really yeah funny. but um yeah it was like a five piece it was like Three guitar players, which feels like a lot. It was like two acoustic guitar players. Then I was playing electric. Kenny was on trumpet, and then we had another guy on, on bass. We only played. Do you have a name? Yeah, it was uh, Thanks for the Lemonade. That was the name. It's just really random name. But uh, we played only two shows in high school. It was like a yeah. rock show, and then we played like like there'd be like an annual rock show where they would have bands from the school like play basically. Yeah. And then we played like one other show at the end of the year and then we called it quits after that <laughs> yeah and then was no pasal your first solo moniker um the music that i was writing that was super synth influenced was my first project so that was under my own name i've deleted all that off the internet it does not exist actually what it was, yeah it's really bad <laughs> <laughs> um, but then i did when i was doing remixes i started as young gb yeah and it was kind of like a joke and i like 
would find random acapellas and just kind of like remix them or like put them into mashups. I would put like Kanye West on top of like a Kesha song or some <laughs> like that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was just like random stuff like that. And then, then I was like, oh, I want to change my name. I'll, I'll, let me be No Pets Allowed. Yeah. It was even more of a jokey name. <laughs> um, but yeah, No Pets Allowed was, was kind of a thing for a hot minute. It was like 2011 to 2014, I guess. Yeah. But it, that was just where I did all the EDM stuff. So remixes, mashups, DJing, like... That was, like, the first attempt, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Actually, why did you decide to have a moniker? Why couldn't you just go by Sajit? Um, the way I saw it was, like, if I ever used my own name, it would have to be, like, music that, like, would represent me in, in the purest way. Oh. You know? So... But does that make music you make not now? No, it does. It does. But I, I also thought that, like, Sajit wasn't the most, like, marketable name, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, like... Like... It could have worked, I don't know, but I just didn't think that Sajib was like a name I could use for like electronic music. Yeah. And I mean, the music I write now, obviously under Jai Wolf, I, I feel very strongly about. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if, if I could like sing or if I could like oh. be an artist in that manner, yeah. I would totally use uh, my own name. Yeah. Like if I was like a rapper or something, I would totally go by Sajib or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't think it was a fitting name for an electronic project. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And for NYU City, City Marketing? Or yeah, yeah, I did marketing, communications, and I took a bunch of music classes too. Yeah. I like, I was in the school where you could like create your own major, so like I was able to take classes in like the different schools. You did like an EDM class, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Um, my senior year in uh, 2013, they offered, they offered a class called Business of EDM, and it was really interesting. It was uh, just like kind of the history of dance music and just learning about like Detroit and techno and all that stuff yeah to kind of like the industry today and we had some cool guest speakers we had like the founder of Hype Machine came oh, to speak wow. to us and we were supposed to have A-Track come in once Damn. but it was raining that day no. <laughs> but we got um we got Nick Catchdubs instead oh, and he's nice. the like the co-founder yeah. of, of Fool's Gold with A-Track and that was really cool mm -hmm. we had someone from <clears throat> uh, Billboard come in I think it was the woman who wrote that really big cover story about either Swedish House Mafia or like there was this one like like cover where it was like Skrillex, Diplo, and A Track because they were kind of the three like big label heads. Yeah. You know, and they still are. Um, I can't remember which one. I think it was Swedish House Mafia, but she wrote like this big profile about them because they were having a massive year that year. Oh. But yeah, we had we had some cool guest speakers and just like it was an it was an informative class. Yeah. And, like just interesting for its time it was very timely mm -hmm. actually yeah. why did you decide to study marketing if you're good at like math and science oh oh yeah so like i just i honestly just lost interest at some point it was it felt very like monotonous i guess I, just yeah. didn't, I didn't like i liked science a lot but at some point i was like i don't think i could do this like i wanted to be a doctor at some point oh wow like when i was studying in high school and stuff, I was like, yeah, like, I think I could do it. But I think it was one of those things where, like, all your friends wanted to be a doctor. And, like, Probably I was your like, parents wanted you. Parents and, <laughs> yeah, like, stable job. And, like, yeah. you like science. It makes sense. But I think, like, it was stressful. I found science classes to be more, like, just, I don't know, stressful. And, like, just took a lot of uh, memorization. And I just... Not the learning style that I was like really into. Yeah. Or just like I lost interest basically. What a, yeah. What about marketing made you want to study it? 
Um, that's a weird question. I, have, I don't think I have an answer for that. <laughs> but like, just like, I just think like communication and like media classes in general, I found very interesting. And I think I just wanted to work. Like before I decided to fully, fully pursue music, I was like, yeah, maybe I could work in like the music, music business. So I took a lot of like classes that revolved around like record labels and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, like marketing makes sense, communications makes sense, media classes make sense. So I was like, oh, I feel like these kind of three areas are like the skills needed if you wanted to work in the music industry, I guess. That was yeah. kind of like my initial plan before I like was like, well, I actually want to pursue music, you know? Yeah. And then at what point did your music start to gain momentum? Was it like in sophomore year or closer to like senior year? Uh, way after that. Oh, like, so like after you graduated? Yeah, it was, um, it was, because No Pets Allowed was pretty much all throughout college. So that was like, I wouldn't necessarily say that was getting momentum. It got like a little bit of attention, but no way where I could start like touring or mm. even opening, to be honest. I like... I would email promoters in New York City, like, at Webster Hall, like, hey, can I, like, open for this guy? Like, he's yeah. coming. Like, you know, these are my stats. Like, I got tracks, and, like, they do well on SoundCloud. Which <laughs> is funny, because relatively compared to now, they're, like, they're nothing, really. But um, I, it was, like, when I started Gyrowulf, it was, um, I just finished school, but I would say Gyrowulf took about a year or so, a year or two before it was really like picking up steam. So I would say like two years removed yeah. from college or something like that. Were you also sending stuff out with Jaiwolf at the very beginning? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, maybe the first few shows because what was, I'm trying to remember what 2014 was like. I mean, by then I had management, so I wasn't like oh. doing it. I got like ducked out <laughs> in the face. Um, they, you know, we did a couple of shows in New York but I think by then, like, because after Skrillex, like, gave the cosign and everything, people would start booking me on the East Coast. So, you know, like, you know, the DC crew and all those guys. Yeah, like, they... also before Skrillex, you didn't really even have much buzz. Yeah, not, oh, not okay. at all, yeah. But that was just, like, because it was starting over, basically, because that Skrillex track was the the third track I released as Giant Wolf. How... So there's no buzz yeah. from, like, the first two. Yeah. How long after did you graduate that he did that, that Skrillex, like, uh -huh. start putting it on? It was like a month or two after I got Oh, wow. So, like, kind of right after you didn't even need to find, like, another job. Yeah. Right. Well, what happened was I was supposed to graduate 2013, but because I was slacking so hard, I didn't graduate until 2014. Yeah. And it wasn't because I was missing credits or anything, so I didn't I didn't have to take classes for that extra year. I just had to, um, I had to do, like, a final project, because in the, the Create Your Own Major School, you just had to, like, do this, like, three-hour presentation in front of your, like... Uh, advisor and a couple of professors so that's just something I like delayed for a full year so when I finally did that in 2014 I had launched Wolf, graduated in May put the track out June 1st and then the Skrillex co-sign was like at the end of June when he played like Glastonbury and he started like playing it out at shows and stuff yeah so I moved back home in 2013 because I was just like well I'm just gonna work on music and try to finish school was that in Roslyn? Or? Yeah, in yeah. Roslyn, yeah. So I just like moved back with my parents. And then kind of after that song, did you have a lot of other... You had kind of a few other remixes at that point that you were able to tour off of, right? Yeah, so it was the Skrillex remix and then like... It was interesting because all the momentum that was happening was very... Like one thing kept leading to the next thing. Yeah. So like I did a remix 
um, on Atlantic uh, for like Melanie Martinez and like uh, I was like charting on Hype M and it's funny because that was the summer Odessa was also like starting to put out singles for their album In Return oh. so they were like charting on Hype Machine and I think they were just they listened to one of my songs and that's how we started like talking I had never even heard of Odessa at that point they were just like oh this is a random Damn. electronic duo and they were so tiny back then they were yeah. like they're doing like small small shows and like we were just like emailing back and forth and they seemed like really cool dudes. So that's how I got to do a remix for them. That led to someone from like Alesso's team being like, hey, can you do an Alesso remix? The Alesso manager managed Dirty South. So they were like, can you do a Dirty South remix? Oh. And it just like, it was one after another, you know? You get distracted uh, in the electronic world by continuously putting out remixes or bootlegs, you know? Because yeah. you're not developing a, a true identity until you truly until you put out original content so like um i think a lot of producers forget that so at some point i was like all right we gotta like slow down on the remixes and start like really focusing on original music and um that's how we like definitely transitioned into like i guess the second chapter of like jai wolf which is like the indian summer yeah. era and all that stuff and the Indian Summer, you didn't even think of putting out initially, right? Like, you didn't even super like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I, um, I thought it was a weird song. I was like, this is a weird song. No one's going to like it. And, um, you know, we sent it to Odessa for their record label, and they really liked it, and they wanted to put it out. And I was like, this song's not going to do well at all. And, like... I'd made it so quickly too, because I kind of had a deadline, so I made it. Oh, damn. I made it in like a week. That's crazy. And just I don't know. I didn't think it was gonna be like popular or anything like that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then after like the hype of the song, it kind of got like pressure to like continue that success, right? Yeah, it's it's so interesting how the song kept getting more life breathed into it, basically, yeah. because of, it just kept appearing in. Um, so many lot, commercials. A lot of commercials, <laughs> a lot of TV shows, and a lot of movies. So it just kept like appearing month after month, year after year. So, you know, something that is old to someone who listens to music, you know, constantly and is, is on top of things, it's an old song. But if yeah. you're not paying attention to electronic music, you might not have heard of it. So the discover the the discovery, um, I don't know how, how I'm trying to think of like an analogy, but like just it just be, it was it was being discovered continuously basically because yeah. like if you really think about it like like there's seven billion people on the planet you know mm -hmm. not everyone has heard the song so it, even two years later it was like like this year it was getting the most streams on Spotify than it had ever oh, gotten wow. like daily streams yeah so that means it it's it's peak popularity was two years after the release that's crazy yeah what was the decision to put out the music video so long after. Um, honestly, budget. It's just yeah. like when you're starting out, like you don't have the resources or the time or just like the money to make a music video. And like, I've always been passionate about music videos. Like, as I said earlier, I would come home from school and I'd watch MTV and like, mm -hmm. I loved the era of where like there were dope music videos. And I think that just because of how the industry has changed and because, you know, TRL doesn't really exist and there's no, uh, there's no monetary advantage of releasing a music video and seeing returns unless you're like mm. Justin Bieber and you're getting like 
a billion plays on your on your video yeah. like the label is not going to see money back so like a lot of times record labels are like unwilling to uh, spend money or or put like time into creating a music video so right. if you look in the electronic world there's a complete lack in music videos in my opinion unless you're like a signed to a, a major label or like just like you really have to put in effort you know but I, I think that's such a shame because there's a lot of incredible music out there that I think could be accompanied by a really cool concept visually. Yeah. And I think the pairing of audio and, vis and, and video is like just a, a really cool marriage that I'd like to see more of. So us doing the video two years later like was really because we couldn't do it that first yeah. year. Yeah, actually know? for all that and like your branding, what kind of like artists kind of influence all that? Um, I, I would say, uh, my, my go-to answer is always Kanye West, but there's definitely like a bunch of people. I just think that, like obviously none of my music sounds like Kanye West, but the way he approaches um, everything from the album art to uh, stage design to even the way he dresses is like so much more than the music, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And I just, I love his grand approach to things. Like, you know, for his Yeezus tour, he had like this big mountain and for like, uh, Pablo, he was just on this floating stage and just like interesting concepts like that to mm -hmm. me are like what sets him apart from so many other people and um, I just like I've always wanted to make what I'm doing as Jai Wolf kind of in in line with that where like everything from the music to the show feels like a, a big or like a grand experience yeah. almost like you're watching like a like a trying to find the word um it's just more than a show that's how i see it you know it's, it's more than just music it's like a, it's a full experience basically because when you go to a kanye west show it's like you are seeing an experience you know mm -hmm. and so that's just i i really like his approach to everything artistically he's just he's a genius at the end of the yeah. day <laughs> fallout boy is kind of like that too like i i always saw them as kind of like the counterpart to Kanye, people like Kanye and Jay-Z, because even like Pete Wentz, like the bassist, and he, like watching his interviews, he would be like, like Jay-Z created this whole culture beyond just the music, you know, it was a, it was a clothing brand, it was like a lifestyle, basically, if you're listening to Jay-Z or Kanye West, you're eating, breathing, sleeping, like, you know, those artists, and yeah. so he was like, I wanted to create that culture for like Fall Out Boy fans, where they can like experience it beyond the music, so like he started like a clothing brand, and like... He did all these things that were like kind of beyond just music stuff. Yeah. So it's always cool seeing your your idols being fans of your other idols. Oh yeah. It's really cool. Have you always been like kind of like on top of the social issues and everything? Was that something that you grew up like? I guess your parents kind of like read a lot of that, so you like grew up with the whole thing. Right. Um, it's so funny because a lot of people's gut reactions on Twitter these days. It's like. You know, you're, you're a musician, you need to separate yourself from politics, you shouldn't be vocal about things, just make it about the music. And I understand why people might say stuff like that, and like, and, but I, I think it's sad. Like, it's sad when people are like, oh, you're an artist, like, what do you know about politics? What do you know about, you know, the issues and all that stuff? And it's like, it wasn't like I, I was born Jai Wolf, you know, I was mm -hmm. a whole person before that. And uh, if you, you can even, I have like a different Twitter account where like, I was going through it the other day and I was like, I've always been vocal about this stuff on, on like Twitter. And it wasn't just like, oh, like 
Because some people are like, oh, that's just the thing to do now, is just to be mad about everything. And that's not true. They're legitimate, valid concerns. I just think it's important to speak up about the things that are happening, especially because now it's like, like people are like, people, some people will say like, oh, it's only bad if you like allow it to affect you, but uh, allow it to affect you. But like just the current state of things is like affecting a lot of people, you know? So I think it's important to talk about those yeah. things and, and, and speak out about it. How do you pick which issues you want to talk about more? Um, well, obviously like race issues are, are very important to me because of like who I am and like mm -hmm. it makes sense to talk about that. And like, I don't know, not obviously everyone is comfortable with was talking about that like for example everyone right now is talking about net neutrality and that's like an easy thing to stand up for mm -hmm. and that's cool and all so not everyone you know not everyone's going to be like wanting to talk about race all the time but I try to like I try to not make it I try not to make the Twitter all that because I know it can be tiring because even I get tired of it too you know yeah. like I follow so many people who talk about race on a daily basis and I get fatigued about it too like it it's it's just the unfortunate reality. Some people live it a bit more than I do. Like, I care about it, but it's not something that I need to, like, constantly be tweeting about, you know? Yeah. And especially this year, I've just been reflecting about when it's appropriate to, like, talk mm. about stuff like that. And, like, I get it. You know, you, there's, there's lines that you can't cross and things that you can't really say on Twitter. And, like, you know, not that I... I don't think I have any, like, controversial feelings about uh, just the current state of race affairs in America, but, like... Sometimes I need to say something because of something like you know, the president said or did, and it's like, mm -hmm. yo, this is like f***ed up. And like, not saying something, I feel like normalizes it. Like, oh yeah, you know, this is how, this is just how it is, you know. But why should we accept that? You know, it's it's really f***ed up. And like, sometimes I have to like pinch myself. Like, wow, we are living in this reality, you know. And it's it's sad that it has somehow come to this, you know. Yeah. Especially when people reason, reason, try to reason it, or uh, try to like justify it like I don't know it's like it's it's one of those things where it's like uh, I don't know sometimes it's hard to wake up and, and realize that this is the world that we live in you know that it's gotten to this point yeah I don't know have you talked to your parents like do they kind of do they like that you're like speaking out about this type of thing like have you talked to them about like um, like as an artist and like now you have so much like leverage to share your opinion and not really I mean I like you know my parents they 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 follow they like follow me on Twitter and Instagram yeah. and everything, but I've actually never spoken to them about it. For them, I think it's a little different because, um, you know, we live in New York and there's not too many problems there. And, and I feel like for immigrant parents, sometimes at the end of the day, they're just working. You know, they're they're not really they don't really care about the things that are happening beyond that because they're just they're just there to provide and, and yeah. sustain themselves. Especially if you're first generation, because a lot of people don't realize that people come here and like they have to. It's not just like you come here and it's over. You have to come here and you're, you have to sustain yourself, you know? Yeah. So it's oftentimes immigrant parents don't have the time to really, like, 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 you know, they see the stuff that's happening and they care about it, but it's not something that they, like, are, like, constantly, like, worried about. Like, you know, they don't have the time, really, you yeah. know, to do, stuff, to, to, do, to do stuff about it. Yeah. But I don't think it's really on them. I think it's really on the, the new generation, the second generation kids or the kids who are, like, growing up in America, you know? Let the parents come and, and, and provide for them, but I think it's it's important for the new generation to always like to speak out and step up and stand up and just be active about yeah. the things that are happening. Has it crossed your mind kind of I guess maybe some like backlash or stuff that might like change your like branding or like your career if you said some of these things or it doesn't or you're not like that affected of like what I don't might think, happen. I think like 
I think I'm I think personally I'm at the point where I can I, I'm comfortable with expressing what I need to express mm. and I don't think it will affect like the way people perceive me and honestly like if it if it does then like why I, I can't be bothered by it like I, I'll tell I'll tell a personal story like um, there's a kid who was a big fan uh, for like three or four years you mm. know like he would tweet me all the time I recognized like the the little picture on Twitter like he tweeted me so much I was like oh it's it's this kid yeah and one day he was just like man you are so toxic and, and negative oh, wow. and he used really really strong words Damn. to to uh, to describe what I was talking about on Twitter and this is why sometimes I like second-guess it because it's like really like there are people like this who who are okay with what's happening in the world and are, are like defending the president and stuff like that like mm -hmm. it's messed up but he was like I can't be a fan of you anymore because of your the way you, you uh, talk on Twitter. Crazy. And I was like, nothing I've said is controversial, you know? Like, I, I don't think I've said anything controversial. And, like, it was sad to see that. He just seemed so blinded by, like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's just sad to see that, you know? But to me, it's like, if, if, that's, how you, if, if that's how you behave or think, then, like, I don't really need those people to come to the shows, you know? There's enough good people in the world to support the music, and, like, if you're going to be someone who's tolerant of, like, hatred and stuff like that, like, don't come to the shows. It's as easy as that, you know? Mm -hmm. But, I've no, I've never, like, it's never stopped me from, uh, like, it doesn't concern concern me the way it, like, reflects on my on my branding or whatever, you know? Like, it's funny because I think... Electronic music is one of those genres where kids are so concerned about their brands, you mm -hmm. know? It's not something that, like, I feel other genre artists, like, care so much about. I just, like, I, I, like, cringe when I see kids on Twitter talking about branding or content and, like, being so, like, open and vocal about stuff like that. It's just, like, I don't know, I think, I think sometimes it's kind of corny to talk about it on on social media like oh what about my brand or stuff like that I don't know mm -hmm. what does love mean to you <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I've only been back to Bangladesh like three four four or five times now uh, I went in 98 2006 2014 and this year so I've been back four times and the one thing I realized when I went back when I was younger I was really angsty as a teenager because it's mm -hmm. like oh, I don't want to leave America like I don't want to go to a really hot country for two weeks and just yeah. like you know I'd be playing video games in the corner kind of neglecting my cousins and all that stuff but like you know I never really grew up with aunts and uncles in my life mm. because they're halfway around the world or, or yeah. even grandparents and so when I would go there and visit um, when I went in 2014 I realized like like these people like love me because mm -hmm. of just because we're family you yeah know? and it's it was such a like weird and and but special feeling you know like that to to, to feel that and not yeah. everyone gets that too i think a lot of people are quick to write off family or quick to like you know not everyone has that not everyone is lucky to have to feel like to feel love like that yeah. so i felt really blessed it was one of those things where it's like man i don't even see these people so often but they like love me regardless and it was such a strange concept both like 
both happy and sad at the same time. You know, happy that these people love me, sad because I don't really ever see them. Yeah, you know? I saw your like Insta stories, and it's like so cute. Like the times that you're like with them. Oh yeah, yeah. Like so, like my grandparents came to America for like five months this year, uh, and it was their second time ever in America. First time they came was in 2011. So like, I I tried to spend as much time as I could. I was always kind of on the road and traveling and touring and all that stuff. But like, it's just it's it's precious, you know. Mm -hmm. So. That's that's what that's like one love that I I like feel like I understood better as as I kind of became an adult. Yeah. To answer your question. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Do you think your music has changed from the early songs that you made like way back? Man, it changed a lot. I think like I think I was always distracted by whatever was like popular at the time, you know, like the no pets allowed days, I was just making straight up EDM music and like it was easy to kind of hear something and try to emulate it and that's like most most artists start like that you know that's that's just how you get better at producing I guess is like trying to sound like someone else but eventually uh, the eventual goal for, for all artists is to uh, to come into their own and, and find their own sound so that's something that over the past two years from kind of like Indian summer to kindred spirits I've been trying to find and cultivate and um, Hopefully the music that follows Kindred Spirits will, will con continue to sort of explore what I want to express musically through my own sounds, I guess. But that's, that's definitely how things have changed from the beginning, you know? At first it was like, oh, how can I sound like, like Cashmere Cat? Because I really like Cashmere Cat, you know? And then SoundCloud is just full of a lot of people trying to sound like other people. Mm -hmm. But again, when you're starting off, that's very common. You just have to learn how to like grow out of that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say you've grown as a person since when you started? I mean, like, I think I got better at writing music, I guess mm -hmm. that's one, one thing. I think when I was younger, it, it's easy to get caught up in, in small worlds. So, mm. like, when you're in high school, you're, like, in your high school bubble. When you're in, like, college, you're in your little college bubble. And I think it's, it's important to sometimes broaden your horizons a bit more and try to understand uh, what you're doing in the context of, of a larger scope of field, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um... Because I think when you're living in bubbles, it's really easy to get lost in, in that bubble and, and think like your whole life revolves yeah. around that bubble, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to kind of like take a step back and look at everything in like the grand scheme of things and just kind of view life like that. I think I've gotten better at that for sure. I try to think about how my music will like be around for a long time. So I, I, I try to think, I try to write in the context of that, you know? Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? Mm. Um, I just want to be, I just want to, like, you know, we, we live in such a crazy time right now where all this shit is happening, and I just want to, like, I couldn't, I don't think I could live with myself if I, if I didn't say, if I didn't stand up and say something or just, mm -hmm. like, speak, speak about, like, what I believe in, and I, I think at the end of the day being, I would much rather be remembered for, for speaking about what I believe in over the music because... I know. I think that's way more important mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Like, obviously, being remembered for the music would be <laughs> great if, if you know if, if the songs lasted a long time and, yeah. and had a legacy. Like, creating an album that like is is cherished for a long time. That's obviously like the goal of many artists. But I think that just given what's happening right now, I would much I would much rather be remembered for for being there and, and being like, yo, this is messed up and like, we need to fix it. And I know those are very general like mm -hmm. terms, but yeah. like, and not everyone knows the correct solution of how to fix it. But like, 
I have hope that we can get there one day and like I want to be I want to make sure that like it's not just me but hopefully I'm able to get other people to like to think the same way and, and stand up as well you know yeah I love that thank you so much yeah, no problem. <laughs> bye guys <laughs>